Uh, as John already said, this time of year we're all making New Year's resolutions. Um, these help us direct where we want to be at the end of this next year. We want to be better academically. We want to be physically more healthy and fit, spiritually more enlightened, mentally more agile, so, uh, socially more well-positioned and financially more secure. We're looking for new ways of self-improvement, better ways to get where we would like to be and where we would like to go. We want better truths to live by, things that will help us become more authentic people. We want better lives that are more fulfilled and more actualized. Resolutions are ways to try and achieve the good life. I don't know if you've noticed, but there aren't generally people who make um, bad resolutions. Resolutions aren't generally negative. They're for good things, for moral things. Um, you know, you don't see people saying, I'm going to eat more brownies this year. You know, it's generally, I want to lay off the sweets. Um, but resolutions try and achieve something good. This morning, in our passage, we're going uh, to be considering the direction of our lives as a whole. Um, and more specifically, the way, the means, and the journey to our ultimate destination. If you'll read along or look at the bulletin as I read our passage, I'll pray for us and then I'll jump into it. This is Jesus talking. He says, And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where the way you are going. How can we, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of Christ the King. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word, we ask that you would shape us into the likeness of Christ. We give this year to you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would um, be... Yeah, helping us to walk in your ways, to live by your truths, and to live in the life of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give a little bit of context in our outline before we dive specifically into um, the details. But we're picking up in the middle of a conversation. This is a conversation Jesus is having with his disciples on the night when he was betrayed. Um, in the verses just before this, Jesus was talking about the heavenly home. He talks about the destination, where he is going, um, and that he's going to come and bring his disciples to be with him forever. He talks about this heavenly home, this heavenly destination. And now in these verses, Jesus focuses the disciples' attention and our attention on the journey. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus is the only way to the Father because he made the journey that we never could. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only way to the Father because he made the journey that we never could. First, we're going to look at the question of Thomas, and then we're going to look at the answer of Jesus. So first the question, and then the answer. So let's look at verses 4 and 5 again. Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas says, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And there's two things that are at play in this question. There's a question of the destination, and there's the question of the journey. And in modern times, even in our lives, there's a greater emphasis that's placed upon the journey. 
Even if you think about, um, you know, it's kind of one of those quotes that people like to say, it's not about the destination, but it's about the journey. And in pop spirituality, the emphasis and the priority is on the present. It's about living authentically in the moment. And even for people who are not spiritual, if you are a naturalist or simply believe that, you know, the material is all that there is, then there's no ultimate destination anyway. So all there is is the present. And yet both the destination and the journey are equally important. If you go on a trip and have a great time ending up in the middle of nowhere or somewhere you don't want to be, it might not be worth it. And yet the means that you use to try and achieve a specific end also are important. The 20th century is the greatest example um, for us to see the error of trying to let the ends justify the means. Or even as Paul says in Romans 6.1, do, um, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, may it never be. So the journey and the destination are equally important. So Thomas is asking, you know, he acknowledges where, that he doesn't know where he's going. He questions what is the destination, even though Jesus just told him the destination in verses 1 through 3, that he's going to his father's house, that he's going to prepare this heavenly home. And for the disciples, this reality is, is still sinking in. So the real question, what we really want to get after this morning is what Thomas says, we don't know the way. What is the way to this destination? And I'm going to define the way for us and then we're going to look at the answer. But the way is something, and this is kind of just common sense, but a way gets you somewhere. If you think about words in English that have way in them, there's highways and byways and doorways, driveways, subways, runways, all of these things get you to a specific destination. Um, the word for way literally just means path or road. And yet, metaphorically, it's a direction, it's a behavior, it's a lifestyle, or it's a means of accomplishing a specific task. And yet, we have to ask, what does this question reveal about Thomas? And yet, what does it also reveal about us? Thomas simply says that he doesn't know the way, and he doesn't know the direction. And we are in the same position. We don't know the right direction. We don't know the right way. We either make ourselves out to be the way or the truth or the life, or we try and make anything else but God the way or the truth or life for us. We make our careers, we make our families, our relationships, our physical health, food or wealth or politics, all of these things we try and make to be the way for us, the life or the truth. And yet all of these things will generate will generate pride within us if we succeed and anger um, toward those who disappoint us and shame for us when we fail at achieving these things. As it says in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Sin as a whole has turned us from the Lord has turned us from God and has made us wayward. So we should ask, 
How do our New Year's resolutions possibly reveal the ways and the truths and the lives that we're trying to live by? What are the things that we're searching for and how do those resolutions reveal what we are looking for? What are the ends that we are trying to achieve? How, does, how do the resolutions reveal what you think the good life is? So, as we've considered the question of Thomas, now let's look at how Jesus answers this question. I'm going to read verse 6 for us again. So that we're looking now at the answer of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we're going to look at four, you know, the four aspects of this answer. We're going to look at the I am, then we're going to look at the way, we're going to look at the truth, we're going to look at the life. So let's begin with the words I am. As uh, John already said, uh, in John's gospel, there's seven examples of Jesus saying I am. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And then in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. And these are claims that Jesus makes about his identity. They reveal both his person and his work. They reveal who he is and what he has come to accomplish on behalf of his people. And yet seven other times, so those are the seven I am's of Jesus, seven other times in John's gospel, Jesus simply says the words, I am. Someone asks a question, he says, I am. Um, and what this should do for us is it really operates in the background, but this is the covenant name of the Lord in the Old Testament. When God reveals himself to Moses, he says, I am. When Jesus uses this statement in John 8.58, the Pharisees pick up stones to kill him because he is making himself equal with God. So as Jesus is saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is as well making absolute claims about his deity. So the focus in this passage is on the person of Christ. And this should be very clearly in contrast to other religions. Basically, every other religion or philosophy or worldview says, this is the way, this is the truth, and this is the life. And that is, what, that is different to what we have here. Jesus says, I am. It's not about something else, it's about him. So the focus is on the person of Jesus Christ. It's not on rules, it's not on works, it's not on performance, and it's not even on us. It's on him. Also notice that the word am is in present tense. So Jesus doesn't say, I will be the way, or I was the way, or I was the truth. This is a reality that he claims for himself that is forever, that is eternal. As Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is Jesus as he is for us forever. So the focus is on the person of Christ. And as we consider the next three words, the way and the truth and the life, we have to see that Jesus is not claiming three different realities about himself, but he's claiming one reality. He is explaining who he is. 
And this is summarized by the final statement, no one comes to the Father but through me. If you want to know the fancy grammatical term for this, it's hendiatris. It's where three words are used to convey one grand reality. If you think of the words like blood, sweat, and tears, all of those communicate the effort that someone puts in, or sugar and spice and everything nice. These three things are really talking about one grand reality. So as we look at way, truth, and life, we're looking at um, three aspects of who Jesus is for us. So let's look at the way. The word way really has most of its understanding in the Old Testament. In the books of Psalms and Proverbs, there is the way of the righteous, and then there's the way of the wicked. Or in Proverbs, especially in wisdom literature, there is the way of wisdom, and then there is the way of the fool. As it says in Psalm 1-6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Or in Psalm 86, 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And yet also, the word way is used in the book of Isaiah as the way of a new exodus, a way of salvation that God will accomplish for his people as he leads them out of exile. In Isaiah 42.16, it says, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, and in paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. So in the Old Testament, the way is both a morality, a behavior in the present, but also a future work of God that he would accomplish for his people. And both of these ideas are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So how is Jesus the way? Jesus, in his perfect life, forges the way of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the one with the united heart to fear the name of the Lord who walks in truth. But Jesus is not merely an example for us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the death of Christ, he bears our sins and the wrath that we deserve and creates the access that we lost. He makes the journey that we never could. As every other religion seeks for us to work our way from earth to heaven, and if we're good enough, we might just achieve it or accomplish it, Jesus makes the journey from heaven to earth. That's what Christmas is all about. So the journey... If this life is a journey that we make, it's a journey that's in the footsteps of Christ. And it's not on the basis of what we do, but it's on the basis of what he has done. If you think about uh, popular fantasy culture or the genre movies or stories, when we think about heroes going on a quest or a journey, we always identify with the heroes. We see ourselves, you know, as Frodo, who doesn't know the way, but luckily there's Gandalf or Dumbledore who can point them in the right direction. And yet the gospel gives us an entirely different, a fundamentally different narrative or message. We're not the ones who go on a journey to accomplish some great task. And Jesus simply points us 
the way. Instead, he is the hero. He is the one who goes on the journey, and he does what we are incapable of doing. He is the way itself because he has gone on the journey that we never could. So he is the way, and yet he also is the truth. And the word truth is the measure or the standard, that which determines reality. If you think about the Ford F-150 ad um, that's kind of been going around um, in modern times recently, it, it says, it doesn't just raise the bar, pal, it is the bar. And shows the truck kind of pulling you know, up the bar. But it's the standard. It's what determines reality. And Jesus Christ is making this claim about himself. In John's Gospel, in uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 17, it says, The Word became flesh... God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then in verse 17 it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Also in John chapter 8, verses 32 and 36, uh, 36, it says, The truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you are free free indeed. So truth does not exist in some abstract sort of way, but truth exists in Jesus Christ. He is the standard. He is the one who determines reality. So how is Jesus the truth? What this means is that there is only one true way, not one among many. And there's a lot of objections that are posed to this idea. People say that it's wrong to say that there is only one way, or all religions are equally right and valid, or every religion simply has only a part of the truth. And these statements seem to have a humility and a tolerance to them, but they, they disregard the clear teaching of basically every religion, um, such as the teaching of Jesus here. And they end up being incredibly intolerant. Furthermore, in the end, they contradict themselves rationally. Claims against exclusivity are just as exclusive as religious claims. Likewise, claiming that everything is relative or saying that there are no absolutes is an absolute. It doesn't work philosophically or rationally. Listen to the Apostle Paul when describing the gospel In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 7, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then hear what he says. He says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There is no other gospel. To claim that there is is a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he has taught about himself. As Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. So Jesus is the way, and yet he also is the truth. Now let's look at the claim that he is the life. Life is really a central theme of all of John's Gospel. In John 1 4, it says that the Word 
um, is what brings about all of creation. And this word is Jesus Christ. It's the word who becomes flesh. He is the originator. He is the creator. He is the standard or the authenticator of life itself. Also, in the other I am statements, he says that he is the bread of life and that he is the resurrection and the life. And even in John's thesis statement um, in chapter 20, verses 31, he says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And life really has two different senses in this gospel. There's eternal life in the future, and there's life in the present. And the eternal life in the future is what we see in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's even the aspect of the end part of this verse, where it says, no one comes to the Father but through me. It is talking about the future life. And Jesus is claiming that he is the one true way to life forever. And yet he also is talking about being the one true way of of life in the present. He is the one who reveals the good life to us. He is the one who reveals and authenticates life in the ultimate sense that which all of our resolutions might be pointing to and are trying to achieve. As Christ has opened up this way to the Father, so also does he give us an example. Even as he makes the journey that we never could, he still commands us to walk in his way of life as his life continues in us now. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, what does the life of Christ look for us practically now? First of all, the way and the life of Christ is characterized by humble service. In John 13, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says this, and he says this right after he washes his disciples' feet. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So the life of Christ, the good life, that which should characterize life for us is life of humble service. Yet the, the way and the life of Christ also is characterized by self-giving love. Jesus says in John 15, 12 through 14, This is my com- commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So the life of Christ for us, likewise, should be characterized by self-giving love. Friends, don't you see that Jesus Christ is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life? He alone has brought access to the Father. In his life and death, he gives us direction not only for this next year, but also for the rest of our lives. 
The pattern for us is humble service to our neighbors and self-giving love for all those we encounter. And these things are what characterize the good life. Friends, the way, the journey, the work has been done. The truth that we have been seeking has come. May the resolutions that you have made or will make, may they be in accord with the good life that Jesus Christ has exemplified and accomplished in, in his perfect life and death. Jesus has made the journey that we never could. So now we get to walk in his footsteps, in his way, the way, and in his life, the life, and in him who is the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ has come, that he doesn't just simply give us an example um, for us to try and achieve access with you, but thank you that he has wrought and has accomplished that access for us forever. We ask, O oh Lord, that this year we would walk in his, his, in his footsteps, in his ways, and in his truths. In his name we pray. Amen.